Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website createengage.co.uk where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. Hi and welcome to Climbing Consulting. Today's episode was one I really enjoyed because I got to speak to Stephen Aldridge friend, long-time Create Engage client, and managing director at the boutique financial modeling consultancy, Numeritas. Stephen's journey is a fascinating one and really goes to show that you don't need to start on a traditional grad scheme to climbing consulting. His career has taken him from factory-based roles through to sales and marketing onto running his own successful boutique consultancy with a stint as a painter and decorator thrown in for good measure. Now, launching Numeritas with his business partner, Denver McCann, was almost 20 years ago. And as Numeritas approaches two successful decades in business, I got the chance to sit down with Stephen and learn all about his journey and the lessons that he has built into his business that can help you if you are growing yours. We talk about what it takes to make a successful business partnership and his advice for anyone running a consultancy with fellow partners or a co-founder. We go into detail on Stephen's lessons from 20 years in business, what's helped Numeritas accelerate their success, and also their learnings and the pitfalls that you should watch out for if you are at the start of 
of your own journey building your firm or your practice. We talk about sales and marketing and why Stephen sees it as a critical function for any boutique consultancy and why it's played a huge role in Numeritas's growth over the years. And finally, we go into all functions and look at why Numeritas has chosen to outsource all but its core consulting activity and how that has helped them to grow their business and what you can learn to help you grow your own. Whether you are interested in starting your own consultancy or maybe you're thinking of making the leap from a big four to a boutique like Numeritas, this interview is packed with tons of advice and tips that I know will help you as you develop your consulting career. So with the intro over, all that's left to say is please enjoy today's conversation with Stephen Aldridge. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we've had quite a bit of today together already. Good session with your team looking at marketing strategy. And I've said to other people, but we've known each other quite a long time. You are the longest standing client with Create Engage, been with us basically since the beginning. And obviously, we've done a lot since then, some of which we'll cover. But I was really keen to get you on to, to talk about your journey and you know all of the things that you've done in that. And so, as you know, I know you've listened to a few of these before. To kick us off, it'd be great if you could start with your background and, and how you got to where you are today running Numeritas. So I started out as an engineer, so about as far away from accounting as you could possibly get, maybe. And I had proper jobs in production control, in factories and things like that. And, and a couple of years in design engineering and, you know, product testing, new, testing new products and that kind of thing. But, uh, I, I wanted to do something more commercial and, and the company I was at. So, so actually that, that engineering design job was kind of billed as being something that would straddle engineering and marketing. And in reality, it didn't. It was pretty much purely engineering. So I was pushing quite hard to try to get into a more commercial field. And, and a job came up with the same company in sales. And for some bizarre reason, they gave me the job. And I have to say, it, it was probably quite a big risk for the company. I was unproven as a salesman, but I knew the product inside out. And, uh, it was a, it was in the building industry. It was a kind of a technical product. So knowing the products meant, you know, I could work with engineers, um, structural engineers and architects and people like that and, uh, explain it properly. So uh, th- I think they must have figured that would help. So it played out quite well. And I, I was quite successful as a, as a salesman, but we were going through a recession in the building trade at that time in, uh, sort of early nineties. And, um, yeah, I was looking for, uh, progression and I found a, another job as a sales and marketing manager in a, an engineering firm but uh, that didn't work out as well I was fired from that job uh, <laughs> which I, I was perhaps I mean uh, very generously the general manager at that place said at the time I think we're not ready for you yet because I was talking about things like websites now you, it's hard to imagine today that um, the idea of a website for a company would not be considered essential. But then it was very much early adopter territory. So anyhow, so it didn't work out. And, you know, I went and my living any way I could. And uh, to start with, that was doing some painting and decorating. And whilst I was doing that, I was studying for accountancy. Uh, sorry, I should say by this stage, I, I'd also got an MBA. I studied for an MBA during the time I was doing sales and, and I completed that by this stage. But again, at that time, people didn't know what an MBA was. So I'd go to recruiters and say, oh, I can do stuff with finance departments. You know, I'm good with Excel. And they'd say, are you a qualified accountant? No. Are, are you part qualified? No. But I have got an MBA. And they'd say, well, what's that? 
So that didn't really help me. So I had to go and uh, study accountancy. Uh, I managed to get part qualified quite quickly because I had some exemptions through the MBA. You know, and so so I was able to get some work then doing what I would probably now call financial modelling. At the time, I had no idea that that's what it was. It was kind of analytical work and um, that sort of thing in finance departments. And then I, I got a job as sort of the right-hand man to a well, president. It was an American company, so he was the regional president for this engineering company. And that was a real education sort of because I got to see all that goes on at the, the the sort of board level and you know the way he made decisions and uh, in a way i suppose you know he confided in me a lot and so I, I learned a huge amount from that but that company hit some rough times and uh yeah they they had to make a whole load of people redundant which included me and i started looking around saw an advert in the financial times for something called financial modeling and i thought well hang on, that sounds like what i do so I applied, that was KPMG, and, and I, I got the job there. So I was at KPMG six years and sort of went through, I got a promotion during that time. But, you know, uh, the opportunities for progression from there seemed limited. Uh, not least they seem to think that um, modelling sold itself, I would argue with that. But uh, so uh, I, I had an offer from Deloitte and I went there uh, with the kind of partnership carrot being dangled but an internal reshuffle kind of removed that headroom. So I then wondered what I should do next. And um, at about the time, uh, actually shortly before I left KPMG, uh, Denver McCann, her colleague, had left as well and started contracting. Uh, it actually started New Maritas and was doing financial modeling contracting. Um, we'd stayed in touch and I'd done little things like set up my own website, um, about financial modeling and I was getting the occasional inquiry through that. So we figured, you know, there might be room here for a, an independent player. So, you know, to cut a long story short, we, we set up Numeritas or let's say I joined him, uh, in Numeritas and that's almost 20 years ago now. Numeritas started 20 years ago this July. That was 2003. I say I joined him about a year later. So, and since then, you know, the, the idea was to build a, consulting firm specializing in that niche in financial modeling and analytical work and that sort of thing to to offer a similar level of expertise and service uh, expertise and quality as as a big four but with a much more personal service that you can do in a smaller firm amazing well there is a lot for us to dig into there Stephen. and the thing i like about these conversations I, I know some of the story but there's bits in there i didn't know and some some really interesting areas i, I think you know that move to sales is, is quite interesting we'll, we'll come on to your thoughts on marketing later because i know that's been like you said something that's been part of your role for many years and i love the idea that suggesting a website was was too far forward but like you say you know the world nowadays people couldn't think of it at all but Back then, no one had one at all. You couldn't simply Google things, could you? Uh, no. At that time, I had an email address that was a string of numbers. <laughs> I was an early adopter, but uh, that's right. And it's hard to imagine now. It, it hasn't always existed, but there you are. Well, it, it is It is funny, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on other topics, but uh, the same mentality does carry forward of being an early adopter has advantages and sometimes particularly in our industry, not everyone is an early adopter. And I think that's something that I know um, stood you in good stead. I'm always interested in origin stories. You know, how you mentioned you knew Denver, you'd work together. But there's, you know, just like friends and how, you know, not all friends should become housemates. You know, probably not all colleagues should become business partners. And 
you've obviously, you built Numeritas together, you've worked together, like you say, doing that for the best part of 20 years. So it's, it's got a happy ending. But I, I just love to know, you know, that early conversation, and I'm asking you to go back a bit, I appreciate, but actually, how did that conversation start? And, and particularly, were there any things that almost you had to ask yourself or you were talking, you know, about with your wife or just thinking about to, to make sure this was the right decision? Because you were at quite, by the sounds of it, quite a sort of juncture in your consulting career in that you were the next step was partner and for a lot of people that's a hard step to move away from because of the obvious benefits and and you know what comes with that but i'd love to know yeah how did that sort of origin story start i think the move away from kpmg was probably much harder i, I thought long and hard about that i've been there six years i built up a good network I was uh, grandly called the ambassador to transaction services. I actually sat in the transaction that's, that's services. A great title. Did, uh, did it come with a sash? Or? <laughs> that's right. A full uniform and a hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I was actually bringing in, I think, roughly half the work into the modeling department from, from transaction services. So, you know, moving away from that was quite a hard decision because, but, but I had had a conversation with the partner who oversaw our group and, yeah, the message was essentially, well, modeling sells itself. I'd say I beg to differ, but I thought, well, if that's the way they see it, I'm going to be a long time waiting for partner. So whereas Deloitte were saying, we've got one partner in our modeling group, we really need three. So ha- having made that move, and then I'd say there was this sort of internal reshuffle, and suddenly I looked like being a long way from partner instead of being relatively close. So I, I, I just thought, well, I don't really want to wait that long I'd always had this idea about running my own business as well, for, right from quite an early age. So, you know, Denver was doing quite well with uh, with the, you know the work he was doing, and had a, a long term client MFI who had previously been a KPMG client, and they you know he'd gone there with their blessing, set up as a contractor, and in fact you know there was enough work for us both to do there. So you know, we, we'd been talking about it for a while. And I say I had this website, so I was also kind of getting inquiries and we thought that you know it looks like there is a market there and what's the worst that could happen you know if if it all goes pear-shaped then we can go back get a job with the big four again i I expect one of them would have probably taken us so it didn't seem like a massive risk we we obviously needed some working capital up front to see us through till we we got paid but apart from that it wasn't it didn't seem like a huge risk uh, and I think we were quite frugal when we started out, particularly with anything any anything that was committed long term. We tried to keep our expenses all so that if if we did have a a tough time, then we could cut down expenditure as soon as possible. You know, so so we started with that, and I think one big thing is that just having two people is a consulting firm. Having one person is a contractor. And so that did make a difference in in perception, I suspect. And we hired somebody fairly soon after. So there were were then three of us. And we started to make quite good headway. And we, I think fairly rapidly, we built up to about half a dozen people, almost too easily, actually, relying on our little black books. And we'll, we'll talk about marketing, no doubt, in a little while. So I won't go into it too much now. But yeah, I, I think it, early on we possibly had it too easy. You know that, that um, you know, we, we were finding work just through our networks. But uh, yeah, we're still here this this long time later, and we're still still together. <laughs> and it is it is uh, a, 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 you know, a relationship in some ways like a marriage. You know, you, you knock each other's rough edges off, and but we also kind of complement each other i think uh, in terms of 
complementing each other's strengths and weaknesses. So, uh, and I have to say, it's nice to have somebody to talk things through with rather than if you're, if you're the, the owner, uh, I think it's quite a lonely place. Um, I, I know that that's the situation you're in, but, um, so it's always good to have somebody to talk things through with. So yeah, it's worked out pretty well. And just to what you mentioned there, that, that almost like you're, cause you are sort of, you, you know, you have different strengths. You, you, you're very complementary as, as individuals. Obviously I met you. 17 years into that journey is that something that you had identified or considered at that initial you know to use your marriage analogy sort of dating phase had you two said oh actually you know we do have different complementary skills or is that something that it was more the opportunity of modeling and then that was just something that has sort of come about and you've realized as you've grown together i don't think we thought too much about that at the time we did draw up um you know some some framework to how we were going to operate and uh, that sort of thing i don't think we really thought too much about whether we're a good fit uh, we got on well and um you know we were both hard workers and uh you know we're both good modelers so uh, that said at the time i was possibly a little rusty i had to <laughs> get, get back to the tools so to speak because i'd been you know sort of more in, in the sort of management of, of the modeling team rather than doing much hands-on but um i soon all came flooding back <laughs> Well, and I think there's there's another really interesting part, and particularly, as you know, with this show, I love to give advice from people like yourself who have achieved the success you have for others thinking of doing the same. And actually, your point that stuck with me around a con- one is a contractor, two is a consultancy. And actually, if anyone listening to this is thinking of going out on their own, almost going out with a, a, coll- a trusted colleague or, or someone you really get on with, I, I'm thinking out loud, you might tell me what your thoughts were, but the risk is fairly low because if you really don't get on, you can, you know, chop the assets in two quite easily and, and give them all, you know, split them. But actually, I imagine when you were going out to clients, being able to say, well, we are Numeritas, we are a consultancy and we are two partners, you sort of alluded to it, but did you find that made those conversations easier? I think potentially, yes. And I, and I think, you know, we, we set out with the intention of building a firm. And rather than just being a couple of sort of artisan operators. I mean, one good thing about working for something like the big four is you do make a lot of contacts. You know, we had good networks, both people who were consultants and some of those go on to proper jobs, <laughs> if you like, uh, jobs in industry. And also with client people, people that we work with at clients. And um, so those move around as well. So Early on, it was largely dependent on people we knew and our networks, and, and that's. And actually, you know, LinkedIn was pretty much brand new back then. So, you know, there's so much has changed since then. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it, being a firm or saying we were a firm, and you know, we did we did do some branding and uh, you know, set up a new website and, and things like that. So, so you can uh, even back then you could look considerably bigger than you really were at that time. Well, and I think it's a nice segue into and. An- this is a broad topic, but I'm, I like to, as you know, I like to ask big questions because they, they tend to lead to one or two really interesting sort of rich themes of, of conversation is, you know, we've touched on that. It's coming up to 20 years. I'm sure there will be a 20 year party, which I look forward to being invited to, Stephen. And actually, you mentioned there sort of one of the lessons around you invested in that brand, that perception early and, and it let you grow quite quickly. I appreciate asking to summarize two decades in in any short amount of time is difficult, but what are the big lessons that really stick out to you or big inflection points along that journey that you've had so far with Numeritas? What were the things that you did or equally didn't do where you think actually 
that had a really big impact on you know, the direction of the business, the, the sort of success of the business and where you are today. So to start with, as I say, we did quite well, almost too easily. So we, we expanded to a, a point where we, we had half a dozen people and then we had a recession and that was difficult. Now, in previous recessions I've been through, particularly with modelling, whether there's boom times or bust times, there's usually some work for, for models. There's usually a demand, whether it's planning for growth or, or restructuring. But I, I do remember sort of around 2010 or late, late naughty, uh, noughts would be, <laughs> was more stagnation. It wasn't, it wasn't booming. It wasn't bust. There was just nothing much happening. Nobody was committing to anything. There was a lot of uncertainty. And that was the hardest time, really, because, you know, just trying to find any work was, was a real challenge. And, I mean, it was sort of getting to the point where we're thinking about retrenching. Do we just sort of, you know, group around my dining room table or Denver's dining room table or something like that and uh, sort of we, we get rid of the office? And and then, you know, a, a long-standing uh, client came through with a big project, which kept us going and gave us the confidence to, to at least stick with it a bit longer and then there was you know, when, when the new government came in with the conservative Lib Dem alliance just all the confidence came came back and uh, things started happening again so it was a lean period that was pretty tough so after that I think we started to see that you know, we, we maybe needed to do something a little differently it took us a little while perhaps before we we really changed the way we're operating, but um, we started to look at how we professionalise the business, and uh, yeah, so we we did go through quite a, a large uh, you know effort to transform the way we were doing things and become a, a more professional. That's one thing I wish we sort of recognised earlier and done something about earlier. We we could have probably accelerated things quicker if we had, but you live and learn and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think we're in a much better position now. So a lot of that, you know, some of that is marketing, but there's a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah, and it's, it's a really interesting point, like you say, that kind of where does it go from a group of people doing that work together to, like you say, that professionalizing piece? Um, and I guess, are there any areas, you mentioned marketing, which we will come on to, don't you worry. And I'm keen to touch on culture as well, I guess. Is there anything else and, and take the last 20 or, or even bring it up to speed with the kind of last two, three, four years that actually has had a, you know, almost a disproportionate benefit for you with that professionalism? Is there anything you think actually I'm, you know, that has really helped us to move the needle? There's a, a, a few facets to it. So marketing certainly is a big part of it. Culture is, and, and we'll, we'll go into some of these in, in a bit more detail, but I think one of the big things was sorting out the back office stuff as well. So getting a decent PSA professional service automation system in place just you know having something to track your pipeline and uh, monitor that and do something about it so that those are uh, key things as well just just basically uh, setting up your procedures and, and and so on and having all that that sort of thing more uh, established if you like so that new people into the business can pick that up as well you, you you can say this is how we do it so i mean there's all sorts of things you know that, that right right through the, the the all the processes that are involved so then i think coming on to marketing we we had been doing marketing ourselves and i mean the only exposure i'd had to marketing really was as part of the mba and what we learned 
on that. And it wasn't in depth. So we were doing things like blogs and you know, the occasional video and, and these sorts of things. But it was a fairly unstructured. It wasn't particularly planned and it wasn't a great deal of volume. So I, it did make a difference when, you know, when uh, we engaged, create engage and started, it just really kind of multiplied what we were doing. And there was a step change there. You know, it's always difficult to know how much impact marketing has, isn't it? It's quite difficult to connect the dots between the marketing effort and the actual sales that result. But I mean, what I can say is that in the, the year following that initial start of marketing with Create Engage, we had a 40% increase in sales. That's no coincidence. <laughs> so, um, so marketing really did play an important part. The other aspects were very important to get the, the whole machine working right. And then the culture as well. I think that's something which, uh, and, and of course, a culture and attitude and, um, and so on is really quite hard to change and it, it only changes quite slowly. So refocusing everybody on marketing and sales and so on is something that I think we've, we've got quite a long way down that track now, but, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, an easy or overnight transition. You know, you've, you've really got to work hard at that. Yeah, I think I think some great areas, and, and thank you for the the kind words about us, Stephen, as well. And and yeah, I want to talk all about marketing, and you know, we'll also touch on your podcast as well because mm-hmm. yeah, we have we have much in common. Marketing being one, podcast being another, among lots of other things. But I I think just almost to hold on that point around the sort of processes and, and systems, I guess. Digging into that, because it's, again, something I think, and I've certainly learned from watching your business, you very much outsource any, I would say, sort of non-fee earning function. You know, so your team is entirely, with the exception of your office manager, who you need to manage the, the office we're sitting in today, all of your team are consultants. And again, it's quite an interesting, I guess I'd be curious what led to that decision, because for our listeners... Some will be, you know, at your point of growth and thinking, well, I need someone to manage IT, I need someone to manage HR, I need someone to manage marketing. And I'd be interested to understand what the decision was, or was it a decision? Did you try the first, you know, the insourced model and then outsourced? What what has led you to that sort of outsourced model you use today? Yeah, so to some extent, it's taking our own medicine. We're consultants. We say, you know, you should use us as the experts to do this thing that we're particularly good at. And so... Whilst actually we're just about all accountants with, um, I think, one exception, we don't want to do the accounting, the bookkeeping of our own business. Uh, you know, we've developed a specialist niche and that's what we want to focus on. We did hire a couple of people to do sales as part of this journey when we were trying to professionalize. What we discovered is that because what the nature of what we do is something that companies might only need once every few years or some, or some people maybe only once in their career, if at all, then it's very difficult to cold call that kind of thing because who do you call? And so you spend a lot of time banging your head on a brick wall. So one of those people, they kind of morphed into a marketing person, again, not trained as a marketing person and relying on my partial knowledge. So it was a bit amateurish, but uh, it did mean there was more activity. And then they were offered another job. And to be honest, uh, I, I said to him, well, you know, to, I can't really teach you. Or, uh, there's nobody here who can really develop your marketing skills. You would actually be better off going to, to, to this other place. You will learn a lot more there. 
And then I think we possibly were already in conversation, or, or that was the time when, anyway, we, we, we started that conversation. I think I'd actually been kind of curious about the idea of a podcast uh, a little before that. And uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Don, uh, Don Morehouse, knew you and knew that you'd been doing the podcast. So that's how we originally made contact. And you looked at what we were doing in marketing and said, there's a lot of other things we could do before we get to doing a podcast. And uh, so we put that in place. Now, the benefits there, and this, this applies to a lot of the other outsourcing things as well, are that we're, we're getting experts. We have people, so you know, get copywriters, graphics people, um, sound engineers, all, all those sort of specialist subjects. You're not going to find those in one person. And, and a company our size, we could only really afford one person. So it made a lot of sense in that instance to to outsource that. IT, we had outsourced right from the beginning. We've got a, a great guy, D, D Lowndes, as you need, <laughs> who, who's been looking after us very well for a long time. And he keeps us <laughs> safe from from all those sort of cyber threats and so on, it sets up all the machines and so on. It, it's the sort of thing that, Yes, we probably could do, but we wouldn't be doing it as efficiently. And he, he's efficient and he's, you know, he's in that world. He's keeping an eye on what, what we need to know. And then more, when, when was it? Probably about three years or so ago as well. I suspect, um, we brought in someone in as a HR outsourced specialist to help with anything related to HR. And she helps us with, so that's Katie. Uh, hi, Katie. <laughs> she helps us with recruitment, but also just all the sorts of things that an HR department should do and be, do it professionally. So I mean, we, we, the, there isn't really a business case here for a full-time HR person. So outsourcing that on a, on a part-time basis uh, works really well for us. So, so yes, we've done that with most of the support functions and it works really well. I, I suspect if we, if we were you know, a hundred people, then it might be a different case and we would probably be building some of those departments ourselves with a bit more specialism in what we do but um you know this size it makes absolute sense to outsource it yeah and I, th- I think some really good examples and, and just nice to hear your experience as well for for other listeners Stephen. because what you say it, it's funny i think we can sometimes forget in consulting but you are applying the business model you sell to your clients to your own business and like you say you know be it in marketing it hr you don't have the budget to hire all of the expertise you need, nor do you need a full-time person doing all of that. And actually, that benefit of the expertise, I suspect, and I, well, I, I speak for myself, but I suspect you see the same. The The other benefit is there is less management overhead for you and Denver because suppliers need managing, but they need managing on a kind of contractual sense and a, an engagement sense as opposed to a career or a, a development sense, which... Um, you know, gives you some of that time back to help you grow the business, I imagine. Yeah, and actually, that's a good point. I didn't mention also we have a sales coach. Now, I've been in sales for a long time, but, you know, again, that so so all these things, and you're right, having that as outsourced means that in a, in a small company, it's quite often difficult to give people a career path if they're, you know, the one marketing person in a business or the one HR person in a business. So unless you're growing hugely uh, very very rapidly then it, it, it's not much of a career path so you then need to find somebody who's quite content to to stay in the same sort of role but do a really good job at it so that, that's a challenge and I actually <laughs> that is an argument I use with potential clients with, with modelers you know it's actually very difficult to find really good modelers if you can't have a team of modelers then it's very difficult to maintain a good 
sort of capability. So, you know, just having one or two leaves you quite vulnerable. They, they, they will develop their skills and then they'll probably go off and do something else before very long. And then you're back to square one again. So this is similar to the way we've worked with all, all the, um, sort of, so let's call them support functions for a slightly unkind word, but they're, they're essential, but the non client facing work. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that point as well you know, is a really, really useful one for anyone listening, isn't it? It's that understand sometimes people can see ahead and see ahead sort of FTE and say, well, that's it. I can see them. I can, you know, there's so many hours, they'll do everything for me. But I, I think your point there, both ways for that person, also for the business, you know, if, if you aren't able to offer a career path, and particularly in today's world, people move on quite quickly. And as we all know, churn is the killer. And so actually having suppliers who it's a win-win, our business is successful because of you and your business is successful because we are here. And so actually not having to think, oh, who am I replacing every six, 12 months? And also, I guess there's an element uh, of replacing people in roles where you are not the expert anyway. You know, you, you, you probably know what you need for a good modeler. Or I, you may know what you need for a good HR person, but I'm not going to ask you to say it on the podcast. Well, no, no, you're right. Actually, you know, recruiting the right person would be a challenge. And, you know, it's all the whole idea of division of labor, isn't it? And, you know, you, you use people who are experts at what they do. They'll probably do it better and quicker. So, yes, you're paying an outsource fee rather than a salary but you know and yeah that might be a bit more but you're probably getting or if it was a full-time full-time equivalent you know it look may look expensive but um in and to be fair in your case i don't think it does look particularly expensive i think you know we roughly traded you know a salary for a retainer but uh to to keep on top of all those things and, and do them well i think it's very difficult so this sort of thing happens in businesses, you know, in nature, the symbiotic relationships between, you know, so, um, but as I say, as a, as a consultant, it makes absolute sense to us because it's, it's the essential reason for our being. And turning, I guess, to the other side. So we've talked a lot about things that have worked and share as much or as, as little as you want, but are there any things that over that time, you have got wrong and learnt from and you know the age-old question looking back what what would you have done differently are there any you know pitfalls that now you know they're there you don't fall in them or you know once you have but from now on you've done something different and that's helped you yeah there's a few things that we've tried along the way usually around trying to develop more business so there's lots of people out there telling you that they can do sales for you better or show you how to do sales better and, and all these sorts of things. And everybody needs sales. So there's a lot of them and they can demonstrate it because everybody needs sales. <laughs> so there's a huge market for them. We've tried various, you know, like I say, what we do is, is maybe once every five years, once or less frequently than that. So getting in front of people at the right time for that. Is a chat. How do you do it? How do you know when they want that? So, so we've tried various things, including, and I know this works for some people, but it didn't work for us. We went on a couple of, it was actually on a cruise ship. We went on this session where people from finance, IT and HR and something else were doing their CPD points. And, and so there was a big conference for each, each of those disciplines. It's quite a nice conference if it's on a cruise ship, isn't it? Yeah. Now they got to go for free. <laughs> And in exchange for that, they agreed to have a certain number of meetings with suppliers. The suppliers are all on uh, us, are all on the ship, and we're paying for it. So, so we were there, and we had something like so over over the space of about two two and a half days uh, over a weekend, we had something like forty five meetings with 
potential, well, so-called potential clients who'd agreed to meet with us. That just didn't work for us. I mean, everybody's interested to hear about you know, what we do with spreadsheets and forecasting and, and, and those kind of things. But we discovered when we tried to follow up that a lot of them were already serving their notice or, or on garden leave or something. <laughs> and so uh, th- I'm sure there's kind of a relationship between that. You know, They were on garden leave, so they thought they'd go and get their CBD points and have a nice weekend on a boat. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't work for some people, because I know I do know other people who who do that, and uh, I don't think they do it on boats anymore, but um, they do it in hotels. I do know people who've had success with that, but it just didn't work for us. Other similar things with with sales that we've tried, and yeah, those haven't worked so well. So, but you know, you've got to keep trying things. You've got to try new things. Just on the kind of more service offering end of things, rather than just talking about sales, <laughs> we've had countless good ideas and sometimes too many and if we had just sort of focused in on what's the strategic purpose of these and do one pick one and run with that and you know eliminate the others and, and i think that's sometimes where we we could have done better is all the good ideas we had we were kind of trying to play with too many and if we just said eliminate that lot let's do this and develop that then we, we might have developed some other things quicker so i think thinking about the strategy of business is important and, and you know making conscious decisions about you know what are we aiming to do what do we want to be doing in a year and two years and five years and does this contribute to that and you sometimes have to make some tough choices and think well these look like promising ideas but we can't do them all we just don't have the resources or bandwidth to do all those so so being more conscious about your strategy and what the future of your business looks like yeah, I, th- I think it's a really good point. Like you say, it can, it can be hard when you, you've got all these ideas and you know they could all be big, but you, you do have to, like you said, s- stick to the strategy and make those decisions. Otherwise, you end up with 50 half-finished things, don't you, instead of you know one, two, three core completed offerings. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny, actually. People say, you know, they hear about somebody who's built a business and made millions and they say, well, I had that idea. I could have done that. There's, ideas are cheap and... Uh, executing on them is is a whole lot harder than anybody imagines <laughs> well this, this is it the uh, the number of ubers for insert thing here that you, you hear of these days and you're spot on and, and i guess part of to your point around execution something that you touched on i was really keen to speak about for the podcast is, is culture because you know, we, we were talking ahead of this and you mentioned actually where you are now and in a really positive way is is the sort of the strongest culture you, you've had as a team I'd love to understand that journey and almost what have you, what have you done? What sort of either consciously or unconsciously, what have you put in place to create that culture and make now the strongest it's been? Yeah. So uh, we put a lot of effort into recruiting since quite early on. Uh, and in fact, we hired a couple of psychologists to help us figure out how we hire people and at that time, we were actually trying uh, to recruit graduates and, and the idea being we would train them and put them through accountancy training and, and so on. So we were working with people who they weren't able to demonstrate that they could do what we do because, you know, they were just graduates. So, you know, how do you see whether they've got the raw material to do that? So that's where we started with it. And they identified some tests that we could use, online tests, plus a whole bunch of sort of assessments that that we still use some variation of today 
to identify who's a good model. So we need to, uh, one thing they identified is we do need clever people. They, you know, they have to have the intellectual capacity to do this. It is a very complex thing. But, you know, we recognize, particularly as a small consulting firm, you also need people who are going to be good in front of clients and sort of continue those relationships. So uh, some of the some of the assessments are about those sorts of things as well and general commerciality and, and those sorts of things. So we were doing quite a lot on that. But I suppose the thing that we're doing differently now is that the whole team is much more engaged in the whole business and in things like, you know, how are we going to win more work? everybody can play a part in that. So there's some things we've done. Some of it is around values. And again, that's evolved over quite a long period. We we first did that as part of a previous marketing effort uh, with a, a marketing consultant. And I forgot to mention that actually, but yes, we did have some input a few years ago on that. Part of that was about what your values are. And we identified nine values there. Now, I couldn't tell you what those nine values are because nine is too many to remember. And so we had another, we looked at it again and we sort of boiled it down and over a period of a few sessions. Uh, and actually the team were sort of pairing these things out and saying, well, no, we don't really need that one. And so we, we boiled it down to just three and the team sort of all recognized that in the way we do things. So that became almost a touchstone and, and a guiding, a set of guiding principles, really. So that helps. And then, you know, Denver and I both read lots of books, um, you know, as any good consultant should. <laughs> How can we do things better? Get you know, get ideas from all sorts of different walks of life. And one of the ones he read was, I think it was called the Four Disciplines of Execution, and that's about you know having your, your wildly important goal for the business, and sort of breaking that down so that everybody can see how they contribute towards that. So we started using that as a framework some time ago, and. Each week we have a meeting and everybody sort of makes a commitment as what, what they're going to do that week that contributes towards that goal. And so figuring out what those are, uh, some of those, so we say, well, if you can do, you might do something to do with um, our free software. You know, we, we, we give away some free software that makes people using Excel spreadsheets more productive. It might be enhancing. We will put that. a link in the show notes for people. It is a great, it's a great tool as NXT. That's right. Anybody who uses Excel should find this uh, a boon and you know it might be doing something to enhance that or enhance one of our internal tools Uh, it might be you know getting to grips with a particular industry sector or something new and and, you know explaining that to the rest of the team or it might be something relating to sales or marketing it might be i mean in some cases it might be just i'll make a commitment to go and reconnect with six people on linkedin or something of that sort so so that you know, gets everybody thinking about and pulling in the same direction and also has fostered a bit more of a uh, kind of ownership of the the future of the business and developing particularly new business. That's a key part of it. So all of that, uh, I, I suppose the other thing is with recruitment, we have also been a bit more, I know if brutal is the right word, uh, we don't like to be brutal about anything, but, you know, if we're not quite sure, uh, rather than give somebody the benefit of the doubt, then we've, we've um, declined and focused in on attitude as much as skills. So the skills is a prerequisite. You've got to you've got to be able to do the basic stuff. Now, having said that, we don't expect you to come in as a fully formed model necessarily. We're very good at teaching people how to do that. But uh, you've got to have the right aptitude, which we're quite good at assessing, and also the right attitude. You've got to want to do it. You've got to love it, really. Um, we've got people here who, I mean, um, one of our guys 
spent most of lockdown just writing and you know learning how to do vba which is a programming language in excel and writing software and building stuff in that and uh you know he just loves it and you you kind of need to so <laughs> you've seen around our office we've got spreadsheet i love spreadsheet mugs all over the place because you have to really so people who want to do that but also you know want to help grow the business uh so attitude is a really important part and i think um we've been fortunate in being able to find really good people who've got that sort of attitude now so yeah i'm I'm feeling better about the team now because of all of that than i have done in a long time that's not to say you know the people we had before weren't great people but i think there's perhaps a cultural shift and you know we've emphasized that sort of thing more as well i think some great lessons in there Stephen, and almost taking them in in reverse because that is where it starts isn't it is getting those right people in the door and you know it's the old good to you mentioned books and good to great's the one that gets wheeled out often here the sort of right people on the bus and that cultural fit and the attitude as well i think it's, it's interesting your point and i know myself and and others who sort of run run businesses have, have made this mistake that benefit of the doubt can sometimes be quite a challenge and, and equally and you probably had this in you know in your fast growth period the you have you know as consultants we want to achieve goals and if your goal is hiring one more person sometimes it takes a lot of willpower to say that person's not right and we'll leave the goal almost incomplete and i hearing what you said it sounds like that shift was one for you of going from they could be right to know we're, we're going to hold out and it sounds like that's really sort of you're reaping the benefits from that yeah no i think so you know the the there have been some that got away as well. We had a couple of that we, we've made offers to that um, it's a shame they didn't take it and we think they would have done. But, you know, that's life, isn't it? But, yeah, I think uh, if you're growing very rapidly, it's it's probably quite tough to not take somebody who looks promising. That that Yeah, but, yeah, in the longer run, you probably won't regret it if you, if you make sure that all your people are really kind of all pulling in the same direction. No, completely. And I love, by the way, the team meetings. They, um, I don't know if you ever heard of the British cycling team and their, their sort of mission for 1% better. Reminds me a lot of that. Yeah, that's right. It's just small incremental benefits. But, you know, if you add them up, yes, it goes a long way. Yeah, I know completely. And, and you answered, I was going to ask you about how you got the team sort of engaged in activities outside of just delivery. And, and you, you answered it with that meeting. And I, and I think that that sounds like such been such an important part on your journey as well. Getting everyone involved in outside of delivery means that just a lot more is happening across the business and you know, frees you up, frees Denver up for focusing on other things. But sounds like actually just like you say, those little commitments will make our tool one percent better. I'll contact one more person. I'll you know do one more training on this. When you do that across a whole team, that over three, six, twelve months, that's that's a heck of a lot of things to have actually happened, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, on the culture front, I suppose the other thing maybe worth mentioning is we we have a, a monthly team session. We go do something. So it might just go for a drink, but more often than not, it'll be playing shuffleboard or darts or bowls or something. So I'm quite keen to do axe throwing soon. Axe throwing is the one I've never, I'd honestly, in my whole life, I've always wanted to do axe throwing. So I've never... Oh, well, well maybe you do a team... Uh, or do a joint team social to axe yeah. throwing. As you, as you know, I lived in London for almost 10 years, I, was, I think seven or eight when we left. But that was the one thing that I always wanted to do for either mine or someone else's birthday. And, and for whatever reason, things always conspired against us. I remember the last year we lived in London, we were going to do it. And then I think the one that was in Vauxhall closed and that was like the nearest one. So we will set a date. 
we will come up here. We will we will throw axes together, Stephen. Sure, no, sounds good. It's just just at the board. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely at the board. I think we both have friendly cultures in in, in that respect. But no, I, I think there's some really interesting parts in there, and, and just reinforces that power of the culture and the team. And I don't want to spend tons of time on it because it will will seem extremely self-serving talking about marketing. And you've already been very kind about us. And it's worth saying there is no payments. You know, there is not a, a wadge of twenties on the table for the, for for this interview. But I do want to touch on marketing more again because of the journey you've been on with Numeritas, and because in our industry, and particularly at the the boutique end, it, it can sometimes be quite a, a kind of divisive, a bit of a marmite topic because. You you mentioned yourself when you started, you had your black book, and I do find you know, when I speak to some people in consulting, I guess there's that that aversion because, like you said, well, can you always say you know one thing here equals one thing there? I guess what is it about mar- what is it that makes you say actually marketing is important for a boutique, and and you know why did you invest in it at all? You know we talked about the models, but many firms might say no, I'll just I'll hit the phones. Why for you has, has that been a core part of your growth? Yeah, I, I, get, I meet up with other business owners from time to time, and there are some whose consulting firm specialises in a particular industry. And uh, it's quite funny, we talk to each other and I say, oh, you know, it, it must be much easier if you've got an industry sector because then you know who to focus on. And they say, oh, it must be much easier if you've got a skills-based consulting so you can sell that to anyone. And both are probably true. <laughs> yeah, But selling to anyone something that they maybe only need once every few years it's it's difficult to make the right contact so we tried uh, cold calling and um yeah really you know it's just a low percentage hit rate and part of else it's demoralizing so we figured and i think i'd started to work this out before i met you but you want to be in the right place when people start looking for you so most finance people at some point are going to need some form of modeling, but it might be sometime down the line. So we're trying to make ourselves visible so that, uh, and, and with things like the tool, you know, be useful as well so that it keeps us front of mind really. So that at the time when they maybe do need to, to build a model, maybe they've got a transaction going on, maybe they're looking at a major investment or whatever, or, or just restructure. It could be anything. Models are used for all sorts of things and, you know, the various other kinds of analysis we can do. When they think about that, then that's the time at which they might make contact. And you know, we, we try to put plenty of examples. One thing we've found is that our case studies get huge engagement. People people are really interested in those because they can say, oh, well, this looks rather like what we, we want to do or maybe looks like what we might want to do someday. So those have been really useful. But I think the other thing we started to realize is that the more we give away, uh, it, there's a, there was a bit of a concern that if we give away our intellectual property, then people won't need us. But that's nonsense. The more we've given away, the more that's come back to us because people really want our delivery capability. They don't want to actually be learning how to do this themselves and figuring out and, and then not doing it quite as well anyway. They would rather that um, they get somebody who can do it and will do a great job. And we're very much in it for the, the the long game as well. So if somebody phones us, they're not going to get hounded with phone calls every week. You know, if, if we recognise that sometimes these things are slow burn, a lot of these bigger projects take. Some, you know, we've had some clients. It's taken 
well over a year between first contact and and doing anything so yeah we'll we'll maybe get in touch once in a while but you know we're not going to hound you so all of what we do with marketing is is try to uh, to demonstrate you know that we can do this stuff we know what we're talking about and actually for anybody that's in a consultancy that's looking at doing this sort of thing stuff that you might think is trivial actually is probably quite useful and interesting to a lot of clients you know you have to re- remember you're an expert in your field and you know so you're up here and uh but other people may not uh, you know, have anything like that level of understanding and so even some of the stuff which you consider to be quite simple and straightforward is still interesting to to potential clients and that, that that's the sort of stuff that you can give away and it's useful to people but also you know, it builds trust and, and you know, so much of consulting is about trust and to a certain extent relationships as well. And, you know, do you get on with the people? It's very much a people thing. But I think trust is the fundamental thing about whether we believe you can do this job for us and we're going to trust you to, because we're going to spend quite a lot of money with you. Do we trust you to do it? Yeah. And I think that, that trust piece, it, it ties quite nicely back to what you said about giving away that intellectual property because especially in your industry, if, if someone is doing a transaction, let's say, could be you know, in their career, the only one they do, they could do it every five years, as you mentioned, but they're going to want to know they, they're they getting the models that support that right. And that's where that IP sh- gives them the confidence. You know, if someone downloads your NXT tool, they, they get all these elements that you don't have normally in Excel. And that's like, wow, if this is what I get for free, imagine what I get when I, I, I pay them. And I think... It, it does, it actually ties a bit back to what you said around your own business. You know, even if someone gave you all the keys to HR and all the policies and the, you know, the downloads, ev- everything, you, you probably don't want to spend your time, you know, as a, as a managing partner running a consulting business doing that side of things, doing HR. And, and you know, your clients will be the same. They have a hundred plates to spin. Do they want to become modeling experts? I mean, having watched the Modeling World Championship, it might have changed some people's minds, in- including mine, Stephen, but I'm still... There's time for a career change. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think just like when you watch um, professional sports people and you realise the difference between five-a-side in the park and uh, the Premier League, I always used to think I was reasonably handy at Excel and I could I could work my way around a VLOOKUP and then I watched the Modeling World Championships and they were using functions I'd never, never even heard of and I realised, yes, Stephen, I, I will leave modelling to the professionals like yourself. But I do think there's that's a really useful overview of marketing, and and we've touched on you know the benefits already. So I don't think we we need to sort of dig into those too much. I guess just because you mentioned you speak to a number of consulting business owners and different industry, some are industry focused, some are, are offering focused. Some of those people I suspect are more cynical about marketing and, and skeptical, and and I guess channeling some of those conversations for anyone listening now, you know, what almost I guess objections do you get from them and, and and what answers do you give give to them you know how how could anyone listening to this thinking well Stephen this all sounds great but I'm still not sure you know what, is there anything you'd say to sort of help them decide if that is the right thing for their firm that's a tricky one there's I mean a lot of people are looking for a return on an investment understandably <clears throat> and like I say it can be quite difficult to to draw a direct line between the marketing effort you you're putting in now and some future sale even when you ask people how did you hear about us they quite often can't remember or you know oh did we do a google search or oh, no i think was it a colleague that somebody told us about it? They, so it's really difficult because you know if the client can't remember how they came across you it makes it a lot more difficult to tie things back but uh 
you know, we've seen a correlation and, you know, whilst I know correlation isn't causation, you know, I think if nothing else, the brand building side of what we've done in marketing means that people who are already aware of us have a lot more confidence. And, you know, things like we're putting up regular case studies, we've got our success stories tab on our website. Um, and that is something that, that does generate interest. People see that and think, oh, well, yes, they've done something like this before. Oh, and they've worked with oh, how many FTSE 100 companies? Oh, quite a lot. Yes. So, you know, those, those sorts of things really help. If you, you put yourself in the, the obvious thing to do and what every marketing and salesperson will tell you is put yourself in the customer's position. You know, if you're looking at what some, a major expenditure, then you really want to have confidence and, all of that stuff, all that marketing stuff helps build confidence. And, and it's possibly more so with more necessary with a consulting firm than with a product firm. With a product firm, you can go and pick it up and hold it and see if you like it. Does it feel solid? But you can't do that with consulting. So you've got to find other ways of demonstrating it. That's That, that would be my view. So, you know, I think uh, perhaps when times are hard, people are looking for ways to reduce their costs. And, you know, what do you cut? Well, there's a temptation to cut the marketing budget. I think that's counterproductive because if anything, during downturns is probably when you need more of that. <laughs> you know, if you want to continue at the same sort of level that you've been working at, then uh, you're going to have to pedal harder just to stay still. So, I, yeah, I can't say that I've heard a lot of arguments against it, but, um, you know, I, I just don't see the logic to, to it myself. I think you've got to... Unless you've got something that gives you lots of word of mouth referral and, you know, it's almost viral. Yeah, then you probably don't need marketing. It will do itself. But for, for most of us in consulting, that's not the case. No, we'll, we'll go and start the next Facebook or uh, or LinkedIn or TikTok and that'll, that'll do it for us. But no, I, I, I completely agree, Stephen. And, and I think brings us on to, and again, something I'm, I'm keen to get your take on because not many consulting firms have embraced this. A bit back to your point around you know, websites back in the 90s. I'd say podcasts, from our perspective, are a similar thing now. You know, they, They're growing in popularity. People are becoming aware of them. But you mentioned it when you were talking about sort of our work together. I think something we did, I mean, we're now going back about 18 months ago, but was launch your own podcast. And that's, you know, in our industry, as the, as the title of the podcast, Forward Thinking, it is quite a forward-thinking thing to do. And be really keen to get you know you, your take to your point. I'm putting myself in the customer's shoes, getting your take on sort of that journey of you know why, how it's been, the benefits. Because a lot of listeners, you know, by their nature of listening to a podcast, will enjoy podcasts, will understand at some level the benefits of potentially running one. But I think it can then be quite hard when you go, okay, well, should we do a, a podcast? Particularly when it's a business podcast, because there's a it might feel easy a bit to what you said around the sort of service versus industry it might feel easy to do a podcast on i don't know football or you know the sport you like or axe throwing that will that be our podcast so maybe we start there and and i mean for for our listeners benefit if you if you could tell me what the podcast is and, and what led you to want to do it that ultimately led you you know to have that chat with dom all those many years ago yeah so a wise man once told me and they probably know who he is <laughs> you should be more commercial with your marketing and we do see well, if anybody listening but um, we do see a lot of our competitors uh talking about excel formally and you know that sort of thing which is fine if you're 
in the training business and you know that's what you're trying to attract but we're our clients are principally you know finance people cfos finance controllers um a people uh you know fund managers people like that so they're not really that interested in whether you use a v lookup or an x lookup or an index match and i won't say any more on i've still <laughs> never maybe fun. after that I've, I've always wanted to learn index match you'll have to teach me index match i've never been uh oh well we're, another marketing idea we've got, which will be coming out soon, is some short videos. And I think that's up there as one of the early ones we're going to do in the index Well, match. feel free to run that. Be, <laughs> I will be your guinea pig because, yeah, yes, index match I've always wanted to learn, but sorry, please continue. So we were looking for how can we be perceived as and, and be having conversations with the people who are really our clients or, or the decision makers about who buys our services. So I had the idea and uh, was... was um, I have to say also my son's a journalist. He started a sports podcast, funnily enough, <laughs> on a, a local radio station. And I thought, well, if he can do this, uh, then, you know, maybe I could too. So <laughs> so there was some inspiration from him. And uh, I was quite keen to do it. And, and you know, hence started putting the feelers. I'm not quite sure what, maybe a little bit of, um, I, you know, I'm just fascinated by hearing these, the stories and, and that sort of thing. Podcasts, actually, they've been around for a while, but they're still, as, as far as business podcasts are concerned, still quite a young thing, isn't it? So um, so we just thought that maybe that would be a way that our potential clients, the, the influencers, the people who uh, could potentially engage us, uh, might find it interesting. So that was the original thought. And um, we, we're about forecasting and looking forward and planning. So the forward thinking CFO, which is the, the, the name of the podcast, seemed like a, I mean, it just kind of came to me, it, it stuck. It didn't seem to be, you know, we didn't seem to need to change it. It seemed to work. So, so we launched that and found initially a couple of uh, very friendly, helpful clients who were prepared to appear as, as our initial guests. And then, you know, uh, we carried on from there. So some of the guests are clients, some of the guests are not, you know, but um, you have know, got interesting stories to tell. And I think, uh, since starting the podcast, and, and yes, it's a nerve-wracking thing to do at first. I don't know if you remember when you started it, perhaps you didn't have the same thing, but it, it it's a different, in some respects, it's a different skill. But as a consultant, you you do a lot of interviewing, you do a lot of question asking if you're doing it right. And so it's not that big a leap. It's a bit of an extension. You're just normally doing it in private in a in a room and nobody hears you. Whereas obviously on a podcast, I guess there might be some people listening to this. <laughs> so the big additional benefit that we get from it is, you know, the learning from, you don't often get to ask the sort of questions that you can do in a podcast of your clients. You're asking about their business and things related to getting the project done. Whereas this allows you to ask a uh, much broader range of questions and, and learn a lot more about what makes them the way they think and what, what makes them tick and what's important to them. So that I found really uh, a, a big unexpected bonus, if you like, in terms of um, the amount of things I've picked up and learned from them. No, I think it's a really, it's a really good point. So like you say, and actually one of the many beauties of, of running a podcast that you do get to have those conversations and, and you can ask things that in the nature of an interview feel very normal. But if you're in a sales conversation might feel a little unusual or better still, if you know a client well and you know, you, you've got to know them and their business, actually you could, you know, if they're in a huge organization, you could learn about an issue, you know, they reveal about a different part of their finance function or you know, for anyone listening there, 
their respective discipline. And I think I think it's a really good point. I, you touched on it, so I, I'm going to ask again for others listening. You know, that nerve wracking piece, and, and don't worry, I, I do remember. Uh, it's still, you know, I think the, the big things are preparing for interview, making sure the kit works, and and then listening back to yourself. That <laughs> yeah, that that is, and you know, everybody says this, and uh, and uh, the team here, who some of them are putting together some of the material now, they everybody's self-conscious about it and then the reason is when you hear your own voice when you're speaking you're hearing it through your bones and through you know through your skeletal structure when you hear it in a recording it sounds different for that reason you just don't sound the same and you think it's weird so you know just go with it and just sort of don't worry about it because nobody else thinks it's weird (laughs) they're used to hearing you the way they hear you it just sounds a bit different to you so and you know i think yeah a lot of consulting a lot of success in business is about putting yourself outside your comfort zone a bit. You you have to. It's about personal growth as well. You've got to you've got to do things that you don't feel very comfortable doing. The first time you give a, a, a speech to more than two or three people is is quite nerve wracking. The first time you do it to a hundred people is terrifying. To the extent I I went and you know got some tuition or coaching to to do that and. Uh, there's a, a company called The Method, a bunch of actors, and they will, you know, sort of give you the tools to to stand in front of a big crowd and work with it. So, you know, so so that that you know, if you're well prepared, then it's less terrifying. <laughs> so, you know, do do that, and you know, presentation skills and that sort of thing are something that um, I think it's one of the, the third fear as public speaking, isn't it? After death and I can't remember the other one, but yes, it's, it's, it's high. It wouldn't surprise me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And well, and and that's something nice. I think to your point, the, this medium as we're doing here, once you get over the, the slight oddity of having a microphone and and headphones and, and yeah, the pain of listening back to yourself afterwards, it, it can actually be very good for people who maybe are, less confident presenters because like you say you if you don't want to go and get training or you don't like the idea of presenting in front of big groups which a lot a lot of people don't and i suspect is a skill that's even harder now with covid because you, know, you haven't been in a big group for three years <laughs> you know, even even with webinars you, it's just a one to you know one to a screen you can actually do that with this yeah and you soon forget actually in this sort of format you soon forget that uh, you're not just having a, well we're face to face now but you know i've done quite a few of mine um, remotely and you know people forget they're not just on a teams meeting having a chat so it is not as daunting when you actually get into it as it might seem and certainly less daunting than standing in a room in front of 100 people <laughs> I, I think I, I haven't done 100 people but I can certainly imagine and just because we and you know, I appreciate you won't be able to share who and, and if we can't talk any details just stop me but obviously one thing we just come out of your sort of six-month marketing review and and it brings to life, I guess, a bit of the, the why do a podcast because the insight is part. But, you know, we were talking about that piece of work you won that came directly from the podcast. Now, again, I appreciate you won't be able to share the, the who it was and the firm, but actually, would you be able to sort of share the story of how that came to be? Because I think that's a, that brings to life for our audience, like really quite powerfully, the, the benefits that can come beyond, like you say, the intelligence for, you know, for clients or just simply the fun for you. Yeah, so this one of our guests who was a contact of a contact, or probably a friend of a contact, who was suggested, you know, this this would be a good guest, uh, so our contact, who we had done some work with, suggested, you know, this might be a good guest for your podcast. And so we invited them on, and that all went very well. They're a very interesting guest. And I suppose there was no, we don't, I don't try and sell to the, to the guests. That's not the objective 
they do, I guess, learn quite a bit about us during the process and at least get, get an idea of what we do. So not very long afterwards, they had you know identified a need for a modeling in in a, a firm that they were dealing with and um and sort of effect an introduction so and you know it did go all the way and we got a project as a result of that and actually from that project we then people referred us into other things i think we had at least one more if not two more from that as a result so you know that's a very real example of how how it worked i think there's maybe um that that's the most obvious one i can think of i think it's difficult to know just how much some of the other things influenced uh people but the, if, if you're interested in in finance and you listen to the podcast then you're also going to pick up little bits about things we've done we've had some clients say some very nice things there's one in particular one quote i use over and over and keep sending people links to to the podcast because he said you know as a result of it wasn't entirely as a result of the model we built but as, that was a key part of their process that meant they they save 40 percent on their interest cost through through extra confidence so having that sort of third party snippet that you can just send to somebody who's maybe not quite convinced of the value then that, that's also valuable we don't ask clients uh, or we don't or people who have been clients we don't ask them to say anything about it on the uh, on the podcast but they sometimes just do as part of the conversation. No, I think two great points. I mean, firstly, the example, like you say, in a world where it can be hard to track, because you know, sale processes are extremely long, it's doable, but you have to have a lot of analytics time and you know focus to be able to link those. But like you say, actually, that sort of correlation and I think a really nice example of where a podcast is 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 almost in some ways a soft introduction and as long as you manage it right like you did you know you you're not expecting you're not pitching to someone on the on the podcast before or after but you're just saying hi come be on my show you're you mentioned it earlier you're front of mind and actually it's a great way to get front of mind with you know, people like that who I suspect you probably would have never met otherwise because there would be no reason for your contact to introduce you, would there? No, no, probably not in that case. I mean, this was yeah, this was a uh, a former CFO, and you know, had been in some substantial businesses and worked with private equity firms and so on. So we might have come across them, but we hadn't. And uh, yeah, it was a good introduction, a good way to, and and I think they quite enjoyed it as well. Uh, I, I have to say, I think that's the other thing that you know, some of the podcast guests have quite enjoyed it. It's a chance to tell their story as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And and your other points around that kind of the almost testimonial side, you know, you don't, it's not the goal of the show at all for you, I know, but actually if you've done good work, the work might come up. And if someone says something like that, I often speak to clients where they, you know, their number one struggle is getting a testimonial, you know, of any substance beyond a kind of, we worked with them, they were nice written on an email. Whereas like you say, if you've got a real client in a, cl- a voice clip, you know, that that is sort of worth its weight in gold, so to speak. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I would say if you, if you're thinking of starting a podcast and you're finding it a bit daunting, then maybe just think about doing a short series. So, so plan to do maybe, I mean, six is probably the, for some reason, <laughs> seems to be the right number, but you know, don't, don't necessarily commit to, you know, to, to doing it forever uh, and, and see how you get on. And you might find, well, I think probably having, if you manage to do six, you probably find that you enjoyed it. And provided you've got something that's interesting, then there'll be plenty more to talk about and plenty more guests. 
No, I, I think I think great advice. It was actually I had I don't know if it was three, five, or six, but I had exactly the same when I I started this show a um, hundred and something episodes later. But you're right, actually, don't plan to start the next you know five hundred episode show, the next Joe Rogan or whatever you listen to, but just do a couple see if you like it. And I think some great advice, Stephen. And I'm I'm conscious I've me and my colleagues have taken a lot of your day already. We've had a most of your morning. I've now got most of your afternoon and I'm sure you do actually have some work to do in between. So we've covered a ton of ground and I'm going to draw us towards the wrap-up questions that, again, I expect you will be expecting. And I'm really looking forward to the answers. I deliberately didn't ask when you mentioned books earlier, because as you know, I hold that back till the end. So we'll start there. And as you know, from listening to some of these, what is the book or books that have either impacted you most or you've given away to others most often and why? Yeah, so I know you asked that question. So <laughs> I actually brought it with me. <laughs> ah. So this this book, uh, and it's not really about consulting. It's called Thinking Fast and Slow, and it's by Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winner. And it's it's all about the way we think. And he's kind of the godfather of everything to do with uh, cognitive bias and, and understanding we've got two systems of thinking. One is a fast kind of intuitive system, and the other is a cognitive one that requires cognitive effort, which is kind of what we do uh, in our day job. But it does cover a lot of things about how we think and how we can be misled. And it's um, the basis of a lot of things about um, how better to do decision-making. So so that, and, and there's, there's another book recently, uh, more recently by him and a couple of other experts called Noise, which is, as it turns out, just as, disruptive to good decisions and good judgment as cognitive biases so so i've read that as well so i'd recommend those and also anything by tim harford who is the undercover undercover economist so but he's written several books which i think are always good value so any any of those i would recommend to there's a whole bunch of others anything i've read endless books on thinking and psychology and so which i find fascinating but those those are uh, mark out as as, as um, particularly worth reading fantastic well some great recommendations i'm not sure if i should admit this but i i've had thinking fast and slow recommended it's because it is one of the sort of seminal business texts i am yet to actually read it i understand the premises but now you have told me uh, if it's top of the list it's it's something i need to add to mine and i doubt you have them written down anywhere but if there is a list of all your sort of psychology books as well i think it is a fascinating topic and in a positive way, the world has come more, become more open to you know, thinking about these things and actually giving thought to how you think about, you know, how you make decisions, how you talk to other people, what those things mean to you. So I, I'm a big fan of books like that as well. Yeah, so, no, I, I'll, I'll give you a list. There's, there's some, uh, somewhat surprising ones. If I, is, I'm not sure I've got the name right. I think it's Adam Scott, was it, who wrote the Dilbert mm-hmm. cartoons? He's written a few good books. And he was um, a hypnotist and, and, you know, a stage hypnotist and all sorts of things like that. Not what you'd expect from somebody who did that cartoon, but those are fascinating as well. And, you know, there's plenty more. I can get, I'll give you a list. You yeah. can put them in the show notes. Well, I think he's a side note, but because we talked about marketing earlier, he's also a fascinating example of the power of niche because... I can't remember where I listened to an interview with him, but he, he highlighted, you know, he, he was never the best illustrator and he was never the best comedian, but by bringing together you know, fairly basic illustrations and comedy about a topic people understood in the office, he's had the success he has, which I think is just a, a really interesting example. And then 
Our last question, Stephen, and again, one I know you'll know you'll be prepared for, is you have three people in front of you. And, and you know, to use the sort of KPMG parlance from, from when you were there, one is that analyst who's just starting out. You know, you mentioned, you know, you're looking at graduates. It's that graduate you're hiring. You've got one who's at that manager grade. And then the final one, I guess, is, is you before you started Numeritas. And the question is, what one piece of advice would you give to each of them? Yeah. So, um, I think if, when you're starting out, two key things I would focus on. One is your skills. So just mastering your craft and, and the core skills around consulting, wh- whichever kind of area that you're currently working in. So really focus on being able to do a great job. You need to do that before you can move on to do anything else. The other key thing at that stage I would say is networking and start at that stage to build your network. And that means making an effort to get to know well your colleagues as well as as clients but client people as well we're in a strange world now where meeting face to face is unusual you know we've we've kind of got out of the habit but um yeah we used to do projects where we would be on site with clients for weeks months sometimes i mean i spent four or five months in frankfurt with a team of people you know client and kpmg staff a uh, great way to to get to know people and that will pay dividends later so those those are two things when you're starting out in the the middle level i'd say you probably want to start developing a specialism within your specialism if you see, your particular niche the thing that's going to make you stand out from your colleagues and peers and so whether that is if it's a skills based consultancy you maybe want to focus on a particular industry or the other way around if you're in an industry thing you may want to focus on a skill something that's going to mark you out and give you an edge or you know something to to stand out from the crowd and then when you're reaching that partner level the thing you want to do there really is build a business case a reason for you to be i mean particularly if it's a partner in a a, a big firm you're going to become an equity owner and there has to be a reason for that so there has to be something that makes you more valuable as a partner than you are as a, an employee and so that might be the the sort of niche the specialism that you were developing uh, earlier on but also uh, the ability to work that network that you've been building all along because i think that's something that runs through your whole career that is really important people that you met in clients years ago may now have moved on to other businesses because if you're a partner you're expected to bring in new work and new clients and how do you do that well actually the easiest way is the people who you've worked with before maybe other firms so you might be able to introduce new companies through the people that you've worked with in their previous jobs so those those are all the key things i would i would say and and also i think um throughout your career always look at what is being expected of the next level up and and start to prepare yourself for that i think that's kind of a constant team that goes through and uh, try and make make your boss's lives easier <laughs> no i think some really good advice Stephen, and, and a nice place for us to finish this has been great as i said knowing each other as i do there was quite a bit of that i did know but nicely quite a bit i didn't and i think it's always fun when you're so busy you have these conversations in isolation actually it's really nice to sit down and and have the chance to talk through it all properly so thank you very much for for making the time for this and the very last question you know we've talked a lot about yourself we talked a lot about numeritas if anyone wants to get in touch find out more download nxt where would you point them to so you can find me on linkedin 
Stephen Aldridge and the company's New Maritas. So that's one easy way to find us or on the website, um, newmaritas.co.uk. And you can either fill in a contact form or uh, you'll find that if you scroll right down to the bottom of the, the first page, there'll be a, a link there for downloading this, the software. And uh, yeah, if you have any trouble with that, just get in touch. We'll point you in the right direction. <laughs> Fantastic, Stephen. Well, we will put links to you, to Numeritas, and we'll, we'll save people the scroll and we'll put a link to NXT as well so that anyone listening has got it. It is brilliant if you use Excel and you know more than a VLOOKUP. It is fantastic. It's probably good for people who just know VLOOKUP. You can tell me. It is. <laughs> But we can we can talk more about that afterwards. But Stephen, this has been great fun. So thank you. And all that's left is all the best for the rest of your week. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk. And I really look forward to hearing from you.